This is Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national and international stories, focusing on journalism and communication issues, news and politics. Now, the latest edition of Update One. I'm Adam Cano, and joining me today is aviation journalist Joy Finnegan. Joy edits three publications and their companion digital properties. Joy, welcome to Update One. Thank you so much, Adam. It's great to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. Sure. Well, let's start by talking about the three different titles that you edit. What are they called, and who are the readers that you reach? Yeah, so I'm in the business media world, and um, I'm editing three publications right now. The first one is Aviation Maintenance Magazine. I've been with that magazine for going on 17 years now, so it's a long time. Um, I have left a couple of times to pursue other things and always seem to kind of find my way back. I love the subject matter. I love the sector of aviation that we cover, which is the business of taking care of aircraft. And so that's what we do there. Uh, we kind of direct our uh, audience or our audience is sort of the management level and up from uh, the maintenance world. And that's uh, the first publication. So I've been with it a long time. The second one uh, is called Aerospace Tech Review. Uh, we run a conference and uh, you know, program and um, trade show in Toulouse, France. Um, and we sort of began this publication as a standalone with the show, and it's really turned out to be a great thing since, you know, so many shows have been canceled recently, uh, the past year and a half or so, and, um, you know, it's been a great, uh, way for us to keep involved with our, um, exhibitors and also for them to get their message out to our readers, their readers and uh, the people that would normally attend the show. So that's the second publication. And recently I've taken on a third publication and it is called Transport uh, Security International. And so what we did was we had this publication, it was about aviation security. And of course, aviation's sort of taken a bad hit this year, and we decided to rebrand that publication and cover transportation security in all modes of transportation. So that includes maritime, rail, overroad, uh, as well as the continuing coverage for aviation. So um, our first uh, publication in the rebranded mode will be at the end of March. So we're looking forward to getting that first rebranded pub out to the audience. All three of those are, are magazines, but naturally digital is becoming more prominent in trade media, just as it is with mainstream media. So how do you balance the perspective provided by print where you can do things that are a little more long lead, a little more analytical compared to the immediacy of digital? Yeah, I think for me, the answer is, you know, you kind of touched on it. It's the depth of the kind of uh, coverage we can give. Um, online, it's that immediate, quick, uh, you know, process where you're updating daily the news, uh, giving little snippets of what's happening out there. In the magazine, we take our time. We do our best to provide a very detailed, thorough, in-depth article on whatever it is we're covering. Uh, we try to reach out to as many companies as we possibly can to give as many perspectives as we can. Um, and so I think that's, that's really the, the, the difference between the two. 
but you know, like everything, uh, every, it's changing, as you well know. Uh, you know, we've been in this long kind of process of, uh, you know, going from print to digital. Some magazines have gone all digital. We haven't made that leap yet. We're still uh, producing print magazines for every single one of our publications. And part of that, I presume, is driven by what your readers tell you they want in terms of media consumption habits. It's definitely driven by that. We have a very traditional uh, readership on all the magazines, and they love the print publication. So as soon as we start hearing from them, they don't want it, you know, we'll, we'll make that leap. But for now, uh, the resounding uh, answer has been, we love the print. As you said earlier, you've been in aviation journalism for quite a long time, but you started your career as a pilot, as a flight instructor. Beyond the technical knowledge that that obviously brings, how do you think those earlier experiences impact your approach to reporting and editing? So I do feel like, you know, it gives me a little bit of an advantage. Um, you know, I've got 4,500 hours as a pilot, uh, an ATP certificate. I've flown for uh, the regional airlines, a startup airline, and uh, that background definitely helps me with my understanding of the whole of aviation. Um, I mean, I've spoken the language of aviation since I was 15. I went to the local FBO in Simsbury, Connecticut, and took a $20 discovery flight in a Cessna aircraft. Uh, I was hooked. I really loved it so much. Uh, I soloed that aircraft. Uh, before I had my driver's license. And so, uh, you know, that deep knowledge from, from way back then is very helpful. I've done things like uh, work at that FBO. I've flown charter. I've flown night freight. Uh, I've flown skydivers. I've flown the line as a pilot, a regional pilot, and a startup airline pilot. Was there from the very beginning of a startup airline out of Dallas Love Field. Uh, until the day they shut down right around the time of 9-11. So um, I've seen firsthand how important developments in the aviation industry can be to those operations. And, um, you know, that for me is the perspective I always bring to the coverage that I'm putting in the magazine. I'm trying to help our readers find the information that is going to make their business run better, run more efficiently, save them money, et cetera, and so forth. So um, that background in my uh, flight experience really gives me uh, an additional perspective that some may not have. And a quick jargon check just for our listeners, ATP and FBO are? Okay, yeah, ATP is the Airline Transport Pilot Certificate, which allows you to fly not only commercially, but for a commercial airline. And then an FBO is a fixed-based operation. Uh, this is a small airport uh, where you would take a flight lesson, buy your fuel for your small aircraft, et cetera. Yep. The Boeing 737 MAX crisis, something I think all of our listeners would be familiar with to some extent, was certainly one of aviation's biggest stories in recent years, even before the pandemic hit. What did you notice as a journalist in terms of how that story evolved and was covered by you and your peers? Yeah, so I think the, the MAX event, you know, I go back to the Challenger uh, disaster that happened in the 80s and how that played out. Um, we learned a lot from that. And over the course of many months, 
that information slowly came to light um, about what happened with the Challenger, how there were O-rings and how it was cold and there was pressure to, to launch. Um, so I feel like, you know, the one, if I'm seeing a similar type of development here with the MAX pro, uh, issue. Uh, one of the biggest impacts I see is that I think we have seen a shift uh, in the way that some of these large companies are treated. Uh, I feel like, you know, um, Boeing and the FAA both are entities that maybe some in the past might have felt were untouchable or, uh, you know, maybe, you know, to be revered a little too much. And so, um, you know, they're iconic, but they're not perfect, right? We're all human and mistakes can be made. So, uh, you know, I think what we've learned there is that, uh, you know, the focus has to be on safety, even though we say it constantly, uh, you know, that safety is the number one priority. I think the focus was lost. So, yeah, and, um, and certainly, I mean, Passengers can, we'll see how they, what determination they make, right? Whether they, you know, go back to that or any other aircraft type that's had an issue or, you know, effectively vote with their feet and, and choose differently. But from a journalistic perspective, like you said, I mean, it sounds like perhaps uh, this ushers in something of a, if not a new era, but certainly a more diligent approach to looking at large organizations that effectively were entrusted um, and perhaps not, you know, looked at all that closely or scraped away all that closely beyond what was on the surface. Right. And I really have to hand it to uh, the Seattle Times, for instance, uh, the coverage that they provided, uh, you know, right there on the ground at Boeing uh, was phenomenal. Ultimately, they won a Pulitzer Prize for that. Um, and it was well-deserved because they just you know, did a phenomenal job of uncovering some of the really unseemly things that had gone on, um, you know, including the email trails, you know, of some of the flight uh, test pilots and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I give them a lot of credit, uh, but, you know, huge mistakes were made by Boeing, by the FAA, uh, but let's hope they've grown as organizations uh, that they've learned from these events and, uh, you know, that they are back to believing in, you know, following or uh, really protecting the public trust, which is what uh, they need to do. I do find some irony in the fact that the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, uh, does have a, you know, very uh, big uh, PR push for this thing they call the Dirty Dozen, which is uh, the 12 uh, things that can impact human, the human uh, uh, aspect of aviation. And I feel like almost all of those dirty dozen impacted the FAA for sure. Uh, those are things like, you know, complacency. They were certainly complacent, lack of communication, a lack of knowledge. They let a lot of things slide through in that Max scenario, I think that, um, you know, had they had a little bit more understanding, they might have been questioning more deeply, um, you know, lack of resources, pressure, etc. So I find that ironic. More minor and yet still 
extraordinary incidents do continue. Just this past weekend, we had the engine failure of United 328, a 777 bound from Denver to Honolulu uh, that suffered a catastrophic right engine failure. Do you perceive that there's more speculation among the media in light of the MAX incidents, or do you think that you know, th- this, this will be handled uh, pretty much in line with past precedent? So I think there's always going to be speculation about what happens in any kind of a safety event like this. Um, that's just human nature. We all want to know what happened. Uh, and it takes a long time to do a thorough investigation. People are eager to know, is it still safe to get on a 777? Is it still safe to fly a MAX? Or is it now safe to fly a MAX? Um, so yes, there's always going to be speculation. Um, that being said, I do think we're seeing actually some progress in terms of these investigations from the uh, NTSB, the FAA, et cetera. Uh, 30, 40 years ago, these types of investigations could take years to complete. And I think they're doing a much better job of keeping the public informed now, even though they still take quite a long time to thoroughly research and get all the information put together in one place. Um, I just feel like they're doing a better job of keeping us posted about the things they learn as they go. Um, so yeah, I think that's maybe one change that we're seeing. It's just a better uh, job of the communication from the investigating authorities. The coronavirus pandemic has had a devastating impact on so many aspects of our economy, but perhaps none more so than commercial aviation. We tend to think of it in terms of passengers, but of course, you see the impact through your coverage on pilots, mechanics, cabin crew, ground crew, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, It's been really devastating, as you said. Um, You know, pilots for sure have been tremendously impacted. Mechanics, yes, they have been uh, impacted, but I feel like Uh, you know, there's still a good uh, market for mechanics, actually. Um, You know, if we look at the um, supply chain side, and we look at the cargo carriers, UPS, FedEx, and many, many other ancillary carriers that just do cargo, um, those companies are thriving right now. They're doing extremely well. They're very busy. So that market is, you know, still continuing to do well. And they're also hiring hiring pilots too. Um, I don't know if you remember this, Adam, but I did take a brief hiatus from the magazine back in 2016, 2017. And I live here in Atlanta. I went over to Delta Airlines. This is their headquarters. And I worked in uh, new hire pilot training for a couple of years. Uh, It was a very interesting time. Uh, the hiring boom was going crazy. They were hiring sometimes more than 100 pilots a month, which is a lot. And there seemed to be no end in sight. At the time, they had about 13,000 pilots um, flying at Delta. And they were going to need to replace about 8,000 pilots who were going to retire in the next 10 years. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it was just a phenomenal process to be a part of while they were hiring like that. But since the coronavirus has occurred, uh, hiring has come to a complete stop and there have obviously been furloughs as well. So yeah, they went from feast to famine in the blink of an eye. Uh, It's a sad thing, but 
I do believe that we're going to, you know, uh, see a resurgence in air travel. I am bullish on that. And I think that, uh, you know, it may take some time, but it is going to happen and we'll see. You're not alone on that. Uh, industry analyst Richard Abalafi and others have expressed a, a good level of optimism. You talked about feast to famine. One of the other things that went towards the famine side, unfortunately, in the pandemic were events, trade shows, including those for aviation, but you know other industries as well. How do you see those events in terms of their future importance and hopefully their recovery, not just from the traditional perspective, which people look at them as a business development type uh, thing, but but from a journalistic one? Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, I mean, I do wish I was, a, a, you know, an oracle and could foresee the future. Um, but we have seen a slowdown or a change in uh, conferences before. They've always seemed to come back, um, you know, especially in certain industries, aviation being one of those. It's a very personal uh, important, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one type industry where it's, uh, people are very eager to know you personally and to understand that you're a trustworthy person and that they feel good about doing business with you. So I feel like we're going to see uh, a resurgence in, in shows for sure, but, you know, we've got to be safe and careful. Um, it'll certainly only happen after we have some herd immunity built up and the vaccination has been, you know, widely distributed. So there's really nothing like that in-person meeting, especially in our industry. And, um, you know, I think that the virtual events that are being done now are a great gap filler. And I think they're doing a good job with those. But I also think that um, we're all so busy right now that when you're at an, a, a virtual event, it's much easier to get distracted than it is when you're standing in a hall and you have five meetings to go to and you're running from one place to another um, and you're you know, running into uh, people that you haven't seen in a year. That just really cannot be replaced in a virtual event. So I believe we're gonna see the resurgence of shows as well, but that's just me. We'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens. What do you think, Adam? I, I, I think I think they will come back. I think there are things that cannot totally be replicated digitally. Um, I think the interpersonal aspect, right? The the Zoom can replace the the business part of the meeting. Zoom can't replace the steak dinner that happens that night or the night before. And I think in our industry that's important. From a journalistic perspective, what what do those events mean to you? What do you get from them? I get so much out of them. I mean, it's it's a um, an opportunity for me to learn about products and services firsthand, to see these things uh, at a booth, to get a demonstration, to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with an executive that I may alternatively never see. Uh, those are things that literally mean the world to me and are so important to my coverage of the industry. Um, I utilize those meetings and events for an entire year. Uh, I draw from that information to find sourcing and article ideas, story ideas, things that we're going to cover, podcast ideas, et cetera. Um, so it is crucial for me as a 
a journalist and a magazine editor to have those experiences and see those products firsthand. A lot of members of the National Press Club are on the communicator side. So I want to end with two quick questions that relate a bit more to PR. You know, the first is as travel hopefully recovers and vaccination kicks, kicks in along with that, um, airlines are going to have to go back to communicating with passengers uh, and with journalists about about things that are more typical uh, as opposed to what they've had to deal with for, for the last 12 months or so. You know, what do you think that's going to mean uh, from a PR perspective, having worked inside Delta and other airlines, not necessarily in a PR perspective in your case, but as you as an editor deal with them and have to deal with PR people at airlines, what do you think that's going to look like post-COVID? A great, great question. I, you know, first I want to just say I'm still super bullish on travel. I mean, I think everyone who's allied with aviation in general, I mean, we just love it so much. It's in our blood. I think you're probably the same way. Um, we come home from a show, we're tired, we're exhausted. And then we think, when's the next one? Where am I headed next? Uh, it's always the top of mind. Um, and so I think that, you know, there's a pent up demand for travel. We're going to see people hopping back on board aircraft, but first uh, it'll be incumbent upon the airlines and the airports, frankly, to continue to maintain this new high level standard of cleaning that they've implemented. Um, I think the airlines are gonna have a long, hard path ahead of them. They've lost so much money, right? But it's recoverable. We've seen them lose money before. We've seen them, you know, make profits in the billions, right? From one, you know, feast or famine. So they're going to come back. It's going to be a long, slow uh, path ahead. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that's going to happen is technology is going to play a role in that. And we're going to see things like we've already seen uh, some unusual new technologies like using ultraviolet light to clean the interior of an aircraft. Um, also using robotics to clean airports. Uh, the, that's happening. It's already happening right now. So it'll be interesting to see how they come up with new ideas and technologies to uh, make people feel like they're really doing a good job of keeping them safe when they're flying. Um, I do think also we're going to see that, uh, you know, we're transitioning to some urban air mobility. There's a lot of talk of that. Uh, that's uh, happening in our latest issue of Aerospace Tech Review. We cover the infrastructure necessary uh, to begin to use urban air mobility. This would be things like unmanned aerial vehicles or even, uh, you know, piloted ones, but in a smaller way, sort of like uh, an Uber aircraft, right? So you would call up an Uber to take you from your Manhattan penthouse to uh, JFK, for instance, that kind of thing. Um, so again, it seems super futuristic, but the truth is it's going to happen sooner than you may think. Joy, thank right. you so much. It's my pleasure, Adam. Thanks so much for having me. Joy Finnegan is editor for Aerospace Tech Review, Aviation Maintenance, and Transport Security International. For Update One, I'm Adam Cano. Update One is a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Podcast Committee. 
You can comment on this podcast or any episode of Update One by sending an email to Update One Podcast. That's update the number one podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Update One. Update One.